0: The
1: country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia?
0: 100% confident Indonesia will prevail.
1: Hello and welcome to Talking Indonesia. My name is Gemma Purdy. On the 8th of March, we marked International Women's Day. To commemorate the cultural, political and socio-economic achievements of women and to bring attention to issues such as gender equality, reproductive rights and violence against women. In the past year around the world, the pandemic has impacted disproportionately on women regardless of where they live. In Indonesia as elsewhere, studies show the extra burden taken on by women in their households and families and also a rise in domestic violence. At the same time, women around the world are increasingly raising their voices and calling for women's safety and gender equality. It's within this context that in today's podcast, we reflect on Indonesia's women's movement and its role in bringing about social and political change in Indonesia. What has been achieved in pursuit of women's rights and equality in the past two decades of democratization? Are more women entering politics and with what impact and what are the issues driving the women's movement today. To talk about these issues and more, my guest today is Kuniawati Hastuti Dewi, a researcher from LIPI, the Indonesian Institute of Sciences. Hello Nia, welcome. Thank you for joining us on Talking Indonesia. Hi, thank you Gemma for having me today. And Nia, a belated happy International Women's Day to you. Yeah, for you too. Well, it's really wonderful to have you here in this month to talk about the women's movement in Indonesia and, in particular, your work around women in politics. So, I wondered if you could start us off by briefly summarizing for us the journey that Indonesia's women's movement has been on since the fall of the new order in 98. That's two decades. So, you don't have to go into too much detail, but I thought you'd give us a sense. Of some of the key milestones over that time and what perhaps were the characteristics of the movement especially originating from that reformasi period
0: okay thank you very much Gemma as i have explained in my paper published in contemporary east asia in 2020 at least I identified three distinct places in the development of Indonesian women movement since reformasi. I defined the first as the rise of contemporary women movement between 1998 to 2013, and the second one is the early division of the woman movement in the 2014 presidential election, and the last one is the reinforcement of women movement in the 2019 presidential elections. So here I, I think there are two important milestones during the rise of contemporary women movement in 1998-2013. The first is, we should not forget the successful incorporation of the affirmative action rule for the 2004 general election. It is stated in Section 65, Article 1, the General Election Act Number 12, 2003. Although this is weak, Gemma, but we have to understand this is a great achievement as a result of collaboration among women politicians inside the parliament, or the woman Parliamentary Caucus and women politicians outside the parliament and various women NGOs. At the time, according to my research, there was a collaboration between various NGOs, for example, the Movement for Educating Female Footer, the Centers for Empowering Women in Politics or Politics, and the Network for Women and Politics of Jeringan from dan Politik in the 2000s. And they keep persisting advocating adoption of affirmative action rule in the bill of general election for the 2004 because of their persistent effort at the time they persistently come into the national parliament to answer the affirmative action rule and this is really enacted in the law 2003 and then second milestone is the Women organization very instrumental in driving the various gender responsive policy and laws by parliament. We should not forget the law number twenty-three, two thousand and four on anti domestic violence, in which various NGOs such as LBH APIC, LBH Jakarta, or Kuali Perempuan Indonesia or Indonesian Women Coalition have strong support and role in advocating those laws. So I can say that in the period of 2000 until 2030, women's movement in Indonesia have similar agenda. The first is to ensure the increasing representation of women in parliament because we believe that the more women in parliament, the more friendly women policy will happen, at least if we have critical mass of 30% of women in parliament. This is global belief and then Indonesian women movement also believe that. The second one, is to ensure the protection of women's political rights in the law, including the everyday life, for example, and the anti-domestic violence. So in post-reformacy, I think women's movement really wants to ensure the adoption of political rights of women into the parliament and the protection of women into the law. And the third characteristic is I noticed the spread of feminism and gender equality rights through the newspaper, through the, the publication of our various journals this vibrant dynamic of publication doesn't happen during the new order. So I think that's the really important Malusen and characteristic theme. Thank you, Mia. Indeed,
1: a lot was achieved in those, well, not quite two decades that you've talked about up until 2013. So after the most recent elections in Indonesia, the 2019 elections, the number of women in the Indonesian National Parliament stands around about 20%. I think that's right. You said that the aim is for a 30% figure. In many countries, including in Australia, there's still too few women elected in your 2015 book on Indonesian women and local politics, you've made the argument that the number of women, particularly Muslim leaders, elected through the direct elections, which were possible after 2005, indicates that important changes have taken place in Indonesia. Can you briefly explain what some of those important changes have been?
0: Yeah, I I think there is important changing in a sense of positive relationship between gender, Islam, and women in Indonesian politics, yeah. Because previously, we really saw the rising of Muslim women political leaders. But by the implementation of direct local elections since 2005, from my research, I see gradual rising of women becoming political leaders, and they are most of them Muslim. So there is a question, public question, asking validity of Is it true? Is it okay becoming female political leaders? And then in my research, I found that some Islamic verses were used to counter the candidacy of female politicians to becoming political leaders in provincial government, in district, or in mayor election. But according to my research observation to the Muhammadiyah and NU, I found that there is no religious justification to oppose women leadership at least in local level. And then I conclude that Islam in Indonesia, especially mainstream Indonesian Islam, Muhammadiyah, and NU provide strong religious foundation for these Muslim political leaders to enter politics, local politics, and then to become political leaders. Although in practice, there is discrepancy. Some use Islamic verse to counter the nomination of women. But what I mean by changing relationship is now we are showing positive relationship between islam and gender in indonesian politics especially in supporting a woman to become political leaders so there is no question about it the practice is different
1: you wanted to address and i think you have that misconception that islam hinders promotion of women's rights including women's role in politics but can you say a little bit about what changed with direct elections why was that an impetus for more women to get involved in in their local politics
0: because uh, by direct elections everybody a man woman whether you come from different ethnicity at least you have a political party to support you or you can come from an independent you can be nominated as a female leaders or female candidate during the election so there is no longer for example oligarchic nuance of local host of representative who elect you because previous mechanism is elected by local host of representatives, which is usually negotiation inside political party. But now because of the direct local election, everybody who has a potential social capital and financial capital can compete in the election. And then here I saw the rising of more female leader, although some of them are part of the political dynasty, means their husband or their father are previously local leader in the regions are beginning to also become politician and candidate in the local election. So structural opportunities is wider compared to the structural opportunities providing by the election within the local House of Parliament as the previous mechanism.
1: Mm. Yes, yeah, so I was going to ask that question actually you've just partly answered, which is who are the women we're speaking about? Who are these women that are entering politics today, not just locally but at the national level as well? Do they have backgrounds in the women's movement? Do they have activist backgrounds? You mentioned that some of them at least come from family dynasties. Can you tell us a little bit more about who these women are?
0: Yeah, thank you. Looking at their background is very really interesting. Many studies have done to understand their background, many institutions as well. And then I think I can categorise into five categories, yeah? the background of female who won the direct election, the first usually they come from political party or cadre of political party the second is from incumbent meaning they already in the position previously and then the third one is part of political dynasty the number four is former member of local house of representative and the last one is business women this pattern is also similar pattern for women who was elected in national parliament and elected in indonesian parliament 2019 So although more women who are a cadre of political party is increasing, we also have to have a concern on the particular nature of women who come from the political dynasty. Because to some extent this is good, but to some extent means there is some homework we have to do to increase more opportunity of women activists to becoming female politicians in direct local election or able to compete in the national parliament. Although in some cases, for example, Ibu Kofifa Inder Parawansa is Muslim woman activist from Nahdlatul Ulama. She was elected as ex-Java governor in 2018. So she is an example of prominent woman activist. In parliament, we also saw at least nine activists of Fatayat Nahdlatul Ulama also elected in the National Parliament in 2019, and uh, some woman activists as well. Here, I just want to highlight that it is not easy for women activists to come along into the electoral competition because social basis is good, but we also have to think about the political basis. Do you have a political party to support you? And do you have financial capital to support you? So this is also an important things to consider. While some women activists like Mama Aleta Baun in Eastern Nusa Tenggara, prominent women activists on environment because of her strong social basis, she was elected in 2014 election as member of local house of representatives in Eastern Nusa Tenggara. So there was some exception, but it is very minor. Mm. And so do the political parties have a quota that they expect to fill with women candidates, Neil? Yeah, according to the regulation of... general election in 2017 which is enacted for 2019 general election all the political party have to nominate at least 30 percent of women in the list candidacy in its electoral district so in the sense of candidacy of women in the parliament already fulfilled 30 percent in the candidacy but electability is different things because electability you have to uh, dealing with the popularity we have to dealing with whether you have enough support of financial capital we do not we cannot deny about this one <laughs> in indonesian politics yeah uh, so there is various thing whether political party put you in winnable position number one or number two in the list of candidates while a majority of political party not yet have commitment to put woman candidate in the winnable position in number one or number two for example Hmm. So obviously is one thing, electability is another thing.
1: Exactly. And so some of the issues that you're highlighting, they apply to any candidate, male or female. But added to that is the fact that that women have extra challenge. So despite all of that, women are getting through and are taking up positions as members of parliament, local level, also national level. So how does this translate, Mia? Has this increased representation of women within the political parties and government meant that issues impacting women receive
0: better policy attention? Yeah, I, I can say yes, though not, not really a hundred percent, yeah. Yeah, for example, an issue of the Bill of the Elimination of Sexual Violence, or RUU-PKS proposed by the Komnas Perempuan since 2012 has not been legally successfully issued by the Indonesian parliament some critics toward Indonesian woman politicians inside the parliament why there is no voices supporting this critical bill. However, in 2020, there is a woman movement called from Perempuan who promote this bill again in 2021, prolegnas like or national legislation program. And then finally, this bill is now become one of the priority of Indonesian legislation program in 2021. So truly in some issues, we Indonesian woman movement, I think, can unite together. Although the bill on elimination of sexual violence also caused dividing among the Indonesian woman movement as well, because this bill uh, have some ideological nuance because of the contents of the bill. Some Indonesian women movement who oppose say that this really strong feminist bill, really liberal, really western bill, and then it's not suitable to Indonesian uh, woman uh, nuance and feature, but a majority woman movement supported the bill because the majority say the bill is important to protect human rights of women in, in, uh, in the household, in the family relationship and then sexual relationship at home, for example. So yeah, because of this very ideological nuance behind the bills, it's to some extent also creating the dividing among the women as well.
1: This division is something that really comes up in a paper that you've already mentioned, your paper in the Journal of Contemporary Southeast Asia. and You've already outlined that there are these key milestones in the women's movement, and one of those milestones was 2014 and the election campaign at the time. Why do you see this as a watershed this moment?
0: Okay, this is according to my research, yeah. Uh, I found it. maybe you also remember that in 2014 president election, there is... He did a part among these two camps, of Jokowi camps and Prabowo camps. And then the social debate among the supporters of these two camps created the naming of the Kecebong and Kampret. Katebong is the one who is supporting the Jokowi and then Kampret is the one who is supporting the Prabowo camp. These social and political divisions are surprisingly also reflected in women activists. According to my research and my interview, in 2014, there were some women activists who initially was invited by one of the presidential camps to give some advice about the woman's issue in their campaign. After this meeting, some of these women activists decided to support whether obviously or unobviously one of the presidential candidates and then becoming their uh, winning team and everything. So, and then the other woman activists I also interviewed, said she didn't want to join. So, the other camp accused her of becoming part of the, the other camp, something like that. So, these two divisions is beginning in 2014, and they just couldn't control this political division. And then coming through again in 2017, governor election in Jakarta, in which Basuki Cahaya Purnama come from the PDIP political party, the same as Jokowi political party. So those women activists who thrown their support behind the Jokowi will also have the support behind the Pasuki Cahaya Purnama. And then it's going through the 2019 general election. The division maybe is initially is not really intense, but then it's going intense in 2014 and then 2017 and then climax in 2019. Well, before we go on to
1: 2019, so just to clarify, so prior to 2014, the women's movement was it quite partisan in terms of its focus was on issues rather than siding with a particular political side. Is
0: that how it was? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. That's that's why I categorized the first phase from 1998 to 2013 as the rise of contemporary women's movement. Because at the time there is many milestones with showing the contribution of Indonesian women movement. I do not I didn't show any political division to support one of the mm. candidates in presidential election. But because of this mounting division among the society as well in two thousand and fourteen, then I don't know somehow it's throwing the woman activists also to take a side in one of the presidential candidates. Perhaps also they think that this is an opportunity for women activists to ensure that some women issue can be included in the vision of the president because the president is more open open to them compared to the previous president probably this is also a kind of strategy from some of women activists to ensure that the gender and women issue incorporated in, into at least one of the presidential candidates. but this is also tricky because once they come that means the other one is different chem, yeah. Mm. So, so it's tricky, yeah, mm. Some, yeah tricky how to ensure that woman and gender perspective issue to be included.
1: Yeah. And then as you just mentioned there, in 2019 these divisions deepened and you've written a lot about this. Tell us about the prominence of this motherhood identities tropes that were used by the presidential campaign teams and how that all factored in here how did that contribute to this division maybe start by telling us about what this was this motherhood push
0: yeah it's so mm-hmm. presidential candidate Prabowo and sandiaga uno introduced the term, the power of amaama so because they depicting themselves as a populist leader compared to jokowi so they using the term the power of Ama'ama to represent their promotion to advocating ordinary women lower class citizens Right. right.
1: So tell, tell us, what, amak, amak, if you translated that.
0: Emak, emak means uh, ordinary mother. This is slang word or local language, perhaps from Batawi or or Jawa. Also, we sometimes use the word emak, But usually people feel not comfortable to be called emak, because the pejorative and negative uh, nuance behind the word emak, because usually it addresses the lower-class mother compared to for example, ibu, ibu is like more moderate word and then modest word to represent Indonesian woman naturally. But I can understand why the Prabowo and San use the word Amama because they want to have a click and connection with the ordinary working class mother compared to the middle class perception of woman of Indonesia. Some women activists doesn't feel comfortable with the term the power of mama because they feel it is degrading. Indonesian woman identity and Indonesian woman status. And this is not represent the truly feminist activism or woman movement in Indonesia, something like that. That's one of the points rising from this, the power of a coin by Prabowo and Sandi. And then the other term I explained is ibu bangsa. Actually, ibu bangsa is not officially used by Jokowi and Maruf Amin, But because Jokowi... We need team used this term perempuan keren rather than ibu bangsa. But according to my research, ibu bangsa was coined by Koani Indonesian umbrella of Indonesian women movement. In 2018, international women conference in Jakarta. they introduced this term ibu bangsa. And then at the time they asked Bapak Jokowi as a presidential candidate also to use this term ibu bangsa rather than ama. emak President Candidate Jokowi also supporting this term Ibu Bangsa because he believed that this term represents Indonesian woman more fully. Because the endorsement by the Jokowi of the Ibu Bangsa term, then people just have these two division that Mama is belongs to Prabowo and Sandi, while Ibu Bangsa is supporting and belongs to the narrative of Jokowi's. And I mean, in my research, I. So how this two term actually creating heated debate and a controversy and contestation among women activists in Indonesia, especially in Jakarta.
1: Yeah, about the wider meanings of motherhood and also about women's place in the nation and and that yeah. really great conversation actually that's been going for some decades. You know, we can think about. Julia Suryakosuma's yeah. work and, and other work on ibuism But in this case, it was really fierce. It was really heated, as you say. And I think, you know, you may have quoted one or two scholars who were able to give what you've just given me there, a more nuanced analysis of the use of the term amakma. But I guess there's also this argument, I mean, sitting outside and, and looking at this and wondering, could it also be argued that recognition in this campaign of the electoral importance of women, because this was what it was really about, wasn't it? Prabowo's campaign did the research and they recognised how important the woman voter is, in fact, as a figure that can influence the decisions made by her husband, by her children. And so there was this emphasis given and this campaign was designed. So on the other hand, what I'm saying is it's recognising the electoral importance of women, right? So was this significant,
0: do you think, on its own? Okay, I think, yeah, I just also want to address this question by, also want to make a correlation with the previous state egoism, gender ideology, as you mentioned, Julia Surya Kursuma has given an important coin or, uh, about state egoism, gender ideology during the New Order, but state egoism or ibu negara is a ideology which do not want ibu to be active in politics so ibu should be a should be supported her her husband as a state apparatus but what i found in the power of mama and ibu bangsa although it has very strong social crisis bias yeah this to term for supporting women to be active in politics although you are ordinary uh, woman everyday woman you have to aware of politics everyday uh, everyday staple food prices and then you have to aware of the decision-making process in the your surrounding area that's the the empowerment they want to bring in the power of mama similarly in the uh, ibu bangsa they also uh, has this uh, nuance that women should not be a passive but they have to be active in politics be a leader coming out from the house and be a leader in public area so these two term actually has some kind of uh, giving some or nuance or interpretation or some identification that Indonesian woman now in the post reformacy should be active in politics as a middle-class woman or ordinary woman. And the second one, answering your question, yeah, I think by having this uh, the term the power of mama, the Prabowo Sandi also in some of their program have proposed some program, for example, for. Providing uh, more job opportunities for women, providing more training for women, ordinary household to improving their economic activity. So, kind of woman issues and women needs are also addressed by having this the power of ama, ama slogan, as well as in Ibu Bangsa slogan behind the Jokowi. Jokowi vision and mission has more comprehensive gender and women issues element in the vision and mission compared to Prabowo Sandi. So that's uh, whether it's the answer to your question or not. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so I mean, it did in fact elevate a lot of issues, as you say. They they were across a spectrum. They weren't just focused on the issues that we have foregrounded already around domestic violence, around safety of women, etc. But also about economic security, about agency for for women. In jobs and training, and all of that kind of thing. So, as you've outlined it, there's a lot more complexity here, isn't there? In fact, there's a lot of crossover in their objectives, which were all positive, I think, for women's rights. Is that how you would read it?
0: Yes, yes. That's uh, according to my observation and reflection when I observe, and then finally, when I get set back and then see what is the power of mama and Ibubangsa. I think they have this similarity, as I said, but these two concepts doesn't agree woman to be a passive woman in an in, Indonesian woman. Now, either an ordinary or middle class woman, you have to be active in politics, going out from home and then not to be just ordinary woman. It is good, but you have to be post, uh, active in politics and be a leader in your society and community, be independent in economy and then uh, be a leader, political leader. So yeah, actually, maybe there is some social classes uh, sentiment and bias in both of these two terms, but if there is a positive aspect in both both these two terms actually.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I took away a lot of positives, actually. When I first started looking at the debate that was really fierce between all of these feminist scholars and women's activists, I thought was going to be really polarised, but there's a lot there pushing the debate forward, I guess. And whilst we've talked about the numbers of women in parliament and representatives in political parties being key here, but it's also kind of a next generation of that conversation about women's role and gender equality. So, I think that's great. But you also point out that the fact is there is this division within the movement. What do you see for the future? Do you see that being resolved? Is there a particular figure that might unite them or an issue? How do they get past this very partisan political division that's emerged?
0: Okay, yeah, that's big question. There's also, I'm answering this question during my observation as well, actually. <laughs> I think I have not to answer, but I think there is two options. The person who possibly can be uh, uniting these two divisions. So far, there is one prominent figure, very senior one. But I think it's difficult as well because she is also in one of the camps. And then it's difficult to find some prominent figures in Indonesian women who can unite these two division camps if we rely on the figure. But I think there is opportunity if we see from the issues if indonesian women have similar agenda on things then we can go and working together for example on similar agenda on affirmative action because in 2024 ministry of women empowerment have this target to have at least 30% of women in indonesian parliament by 2024 the next election and then as far as i know some women NGOs and some women movement and also coalition of women politicians outside the parliament also trying to supporting this grand design to increase in representation of women in parliament 30 percent by 2024 but i don't know whether this coalition will be strong enough to covering all these two divisions among the women movement but the issue of affirmative action rule is one of the important issues that can be united and the other one, perhaps, is the, the Bill on the Eradication Violence Against Women, or, or, or ROUPKS, which is also a strategic bill. We are trying to ensure that the bill is enacted in 2021, legislative law. But again, because this bill is quite heavy, with of ideological and ones, I'm not sure whether this, this bill also can be one of the things to United uh, Women's Movement, Because uh, among the Prabowo-supporting coalition inside the Prabowo-coalition is dividing. As we know that inside the Prabowo-coalition there is a Prosperous Justice Party or PKS which is to not support the bill. That's why Prabowo-Sandi doesn't want to touch issue on women and gender problem during the vision and mission because they know there is a a problem when they're touching this. (laughs) Because all the political party is different and diverse.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's politics. It's tricky. And bringing all those factors together is the challenge. But you mentioned there are some political leaders in those political parties, women, who are really forging forward. So all power to them. And we hope that they can get the job done. And the thing is, this is not just an issue for Indonesia, but globally right now, there is a movement, particularly around safety. For women and gender equality too. So let's just watch this space and see how it touches Indonesia in the coming year. Thank you so much Nia for sharing your knowledge with us and um, all of this
0: research and good luck to you as well. Thank you Jema, for having me. Hopefully it's helpful and then give some insight about Indonesian women in politics today. Thank you.
1: Indeed. thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye you too. That was Dr. Kuniawati Hastuti Dewi a senior researcher at the Center for Political Studies in the Indonesian Institute of Sciences. Her doctoral dissertation was published as a book entitled Indonesian Women and Local Politics, Islam Gender and Networks in Post-Sahato Indonesia. And her latest research, Discussed Here, was published in Contemporary Southeast Asia, and we'll add a link to it on our blog page. Talking Indonesia will return on the 8th of April, hosted by Dave McRae. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode or find us via your favourite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been Talking Indonesia. Thanks for listening and bye for now.